been an interesting, interesting uh, series of messages to go through. There are probably more exciting texts that you could grab, certainly more evangelistic texts that you could talk about. And, and when I announced that I was going to preach out of Esther, uh, I wonder if some folks didn't take bets on whether how long I'd, you know, before, before I totally lost my mind. But it is a book in the Bible that is very important. And as we look at it, we're reminded that it is important to have the understanding that it brings to us because Esther teaches many principles that we need to be aware of as believers in Christ. And so we look at this. Esther is not a book that mentions God's name over and over again. Matter of fact, I don't think it ever mentions God's name in the book. But guess what? It's in the book. Esther's in Scripture for a reason. God did not just say, well, all of this is my word and some of it, well, it's kind of, you know, a little iffy, but I'm going to leave it in there. You know, we'd do something like that. We'd put some good stuff, and, and, and I hear sometimes when people, uh, I've heard of artists who record albums, and, and you know, you've bought an album in anticipation, and, and you get it, and, and there's about six or seven songs on the album that just, just, Make all the hair go back, stand up on your head. All three of them, Russ. And, 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 you know, but, but, you know, there, there are some songs I'm getting more like him every day. But there, there are some albums that, that have all that stuff, and, but there's maybe two or three on there that just don't do nothing for you. You ever seen that? In any genre of music, any artist you might think of, and you think, well, they just, they were running out of stuff and they had to put it on there. Did you know that in God's Word, that doesn't occur? There's nothing in Scripture that is that way. Everything has the equal amount of punch to it. Even genealogies. Even lamentations. Even some of the things that we look at and say, why in the world should I read that? How does it help me? It has the equal amount of punch. The question is, are you going to let it punch you? The question is, will you listen to it and will you take from it what you're called to take from it? And so I just uh, I want to share this with you today because Esther is important. And we're in Esther 4. So if you would, you're going to stand with me while I read Esther 4, while I go through the, the words and, and some of the names that I may not pronounce just perfectly. But God's going to speak to you as we look at this today and talk about the right time. Esther 4, it says, When Mordecai learned... All that had happened, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and he went out into the midst of the city. And he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went as far as the front of the king's gate, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province where the king's command and decree arrived, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping, and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. Verse 4, So Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her, and the queen was deeply distressed. Then she sent garments to clothe Mordecai and take his sackcloth away from him, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, whom he had appointed to attend her, and she gave him a command concerning Mordecai to learn what and why this was. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the city square that was in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries to destroy the Jews. Verse 8, He also gave him a copy 
of the written decree for their destruction which was given at Shushan, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her, and that he might command her to go into the king and to make supplication to him, plead before him for her people. So Hathak returned and told Esther the words of Mordecai. Verse 10, Then Esther spoke to Hathak and gave him a command for Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court to the king who has not been called, he has but one law, put all to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter that he may live. Yet I myself have not been called to go into the king these thirty days. So they told Mordecai Esther's words. And Mordecai told them to answer Esther, Do not think in your heart that you will escape the king's palace any more than any than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise. And so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther commanded him. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for the whole service you've been with us. And God, especially now, we pray your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts. God, my prayer today is not one person be left out. No matter what situation or shape they may be in, no matter where their heart is this morning, I pray that you would reveal to them what they need to know. We love you, and I pray in Jesus' name that you would bind any force that would keep your word from being planted. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would seal this word in our hearts so we can use it and apply it in the days and weeks to come. We love you, Lord Jesus. We love you so much. Thank you for being with us today. Amen. You may be seated. The right time. There, there comes a point in, in your life that your faith is put to the test. You ever had that? Have you ever had the moment, at least one, that you had to determine, you had to choose Am I going to live by my faith principles or am I going to live by something else? There comes a point for everybody and it may not be as life-threatening. It, it may not be as life-altering as Esther's point, but there will come a point in every believer's life he or she will have to make a choice. Am I going to live what I believe? Am I going to live by it and ultimately die by it if I have to? Will my faith determine who I am. And all of us either have or will or will again have to live in that light. You either believe or you don't. Is that not true? You know, we have a lot, we have a world full of gray areas, but, but the, the honest truth this morning is, is you either believe that Jesus is the Son of God or you don't. You either believe that He died for you so your sins could be atoned for or you don't. You either believe there is a heaven or you don't. You either believe there is a hell or you don't. There's not a whole lot of iffy in there. There's not a whole lot of gray for that. And there's a lot of things that you and I can discuss. 
There's a lot of stuff that we can debate, but some things are either yes or no. That's just the way it is. That's not the way I designed it. It's the way God designed it. And, and, and that's just true. You know, I might not even like some of that, but it doesn't matter. I wasn't consulted. Amen? And you weren't either. God's way. You know, we, we've used the phrase before. It's either my way or the highway. Here's a new improved phrase. It's God's way. Period. They're not even, you can't even get on the highway to get away from it. It's God's way. And as we look at this, we understand that we either believe or we don't believe. And your actions will be what reveals where your heart is at, whether you believe or you don't. How you act, how you respond, what you do. I, you can tell me you believe something all day long, but until I see you believe it, I won't know the difference. When I see you believe it, when I see you live it, people can talk a good talk. You ever heard people who talk good? They can say the right words and say the right stuff. Now, don't look at your neighbor, but there are people who can do the right things, and, excuse me, say the right things, but it's the living is the test. That's how you know where your faith is. I want you to listen to these following words. I found these as I was studying this week. And it's a quote, and I'll tell you where it comes from in just a second. But it says, I believe in the sun even when it isn't shining. I believe in love when feeling it not. I believe in God even when He is silent. These words were found written in a cellar in Cologne, Germany. They were written by a Jew during World War II who was hiding behind and around the cellar as the Nazis were coming through to round up the Jews. And this Jew, unnamed, sprawled, just kind of scrawled it out there, the thoughts that were on that person's mind at the time. Isn't it amazing that in a time of crisis, how quickly we think about God? I remember having an almost near accident that could have been serious. I was sliding on ice on a bridge. And if you know me, there's a few things that I don't particularly care for. I don't want to say be afraid of because the Bible tells us to fear not. But if I had some fears, they'd be close. I don't like bridges. I just I drive over them every day, but I really don't like bridges, and I don't like heights, and I'm really kind of allergic to collisions. But that's a different story. But and as I started sliding on this bridge in the ice, and I started spinning a little bit, and I didn't know whatever I and I don't I'm also not a real good swimmer, so I was gonna be in trouble. And as I went across this bridge and started sliding, I didn't know where I'd end up. It's amazing to me that the first thing that I thought of was, I just said Jesus. And I can't say that I was particularly close to God at the time. I don't remember. I certainly wasn't preaching and I wasn't probably as active in ministry. I, 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 don't, I, I was a Christian, but I don't know how close I really was at the time. But I do know that in the moment of crisis, there was enough sense in my head to just say Jesus. I didn't utter a, a dynamic prayer, but I said, Jesus, that's all I need. But I knew enough 
that in the moment of crisis, I needed Him. And, and, and this, these words reveal the same thing, that in the moment of crisis, when a Jew who is being hunted down by a corrupt government is about to be imprisoned and potentially lose their life, and all they know, their, their mind was, was brought to things of God. And they wrote those words. See, Esther, if we go back to the story, didn't have any assurance that God would protect her life. Do you see that? There's, the God doesn't jump down and say, Fear not! I always like those parts of the Scripture when He says, Fear not! There's usually an angel and I imagine smoke and lights and I just imagine a big thing. And that may, that may or may not be. But there was no fear not moment in this part of Esther or any part of Esther. only thing she was determined and, and, and living by was her faith. And she says, I, you know, let's kind of backtrack the story just a bit. We remember that the decree comes that Haman is, is convinced the king to kill all the Jews on a certain day. You remember that, say amen. So you remember that part of the story. And now Mordecai is upset because there's there's no mistake in it. Everybody knows he's a Jew. And everybody knows who the Jews are. They know all the Jews except the fact that their own queen is a Jew. They don't know that. But he's distraught. They're upset. And they get the word back to Esther. And Esther has to make a choice. How many of you know that you have to make a choice? have to make a choice every day. But then I'd also say that if you're choosing to serve God every day, you better have at some point where you've chosen to choose God no matter what. Now understand what I'm saying. Let me clarify that a little bit. I think that every day we make choices to serve God and live for God. But I think what gets us to those everyday moments is the fact that at some point, somewhere back in our history, we made the choice that, God, I am going to serve you no matter what. And it makes those daily choices a lot easier. You know, I, I've always I heard this said one time, that, and, and I'm not attempting to step on toes, so watch out, but I, I've heard it said that you don't make the decision to go to church on Sunday morning. You, you've made that decision on Saturday night. You, you've made that decision days and weeks before. That as Scripture says, that, that me and my house will serve the Lord. You've already determined that. You don't wake up and say, well, is the weather just right? Which way is the wind blowing? Yeah, I think we can work it in today. You've made that decision that I'm going to serve God beforehand. And, and, and so, as we look at this story, she, she didn't have any assurance, Esther didn't, that God's going to protect her or save her. And nothing said that. She did have faith that He would do what? What was right. I know today God's going to do what's right. Do you? I don't know exactly how that affects me. I don't know if me being sick, if God heals me and, and, and He's going to heal me to get the right done. But, but I know that God will always do, will always do what's right. may not always be what I want. And, and you know, a lot of times i found out, a lot of times it's not what I want. But He'll always do what's right. And, and, and she did have faith that He'd do that. See, God is the standard for what is right. And He is the standard for, for what needs to be done. 
And He's the standard, and we're to stand for and by that. I want to share just three principles with you today. Here's the first one. Sometimes you have to risk it all for what is right. Sometimes you're going to have to risk it all for what is right. Now think about that for a second as we get into it. Sometimes you're going to have to risk it all for what is right. Now, that might be foreign in our understanding. But see, Esther knew what was really at stake. She could lose her life. She mentions, look, the only people who, who get to go in before the kings are the ones that He calls to go before them. And the ones that He gives the golden scepter. And I haven't been around the king in a month, 30 days. So a lot of times we think when we get from the last part of the story and Esther's chosen Miss uh, Persia, and we think it's happily ever after and, and her and the king go frolicking through the gardens holding hands and it's just a love story after that. I want to tell you, it wasn't a love story. It was a story of God's provision, but I don't think it was a love story so much. And the Scripture here says that she hasn't been in His presence in 30 days. Now what that means, if you're part of a harem, which I've never been, but what that means if you're part of a harem, that your days of usefulness might be over. In other words, the newer model may be taking your place. There may be other girls that the king likes better than Esther now. Even though she still holds the position as queen, it's been 30 days. And so she doesn't know what her status is. She doesn't know where she really stands. Is she in good relationship? She was 30 days ago. But maybe the expiration date has come out on that. She doesn't know. And I need you to know that that's a real concern for her at this time. She hasn't seen him in 30 days. If she steps in unannounced, he might say, you know, you're not as good as I thought you were. And you're not wearing your hair just as pretty as you were the day I picked you. You know, we're fickle like that sometimes. So she wasn't sure. Sometimes you have to risk it all for what is right. Esther knew what was at stake. She hadn't been called before the king in 30 days. She didn't know where she was in status with him. She could, he could have lost interest. She could lose the position she had. More importantly, she could lose her life. So she had a lot she was worried about. A lot of people say, well, she should have just stuck up for a people. I would have. Would you really? Do you just always do what's right when you're called to do it with no thinking about it? I'd love to think that's true, but I'm afraid it's not because I know you. And I know me. And so I don't falter for being concerned. See, when we're faced with the possibility of risking our, our status, our blessings, and maybe even our lives, we have to be reminded that it all came from God in the first place. See, Esther was where Esther was at was because God put Esther there. She was queen of a nation that she did not belong to in probable of all circumstances because God said that's where He wanted her. 
And as we read this Scripture, it was for such a time as this. But see, we don't know, ever know when that time will be. And so she had to be sure it was worth risking, but she knew ultimately it would be. Here's the second principle that I, I wrote down, and I want you to, to listen to this. God's schedule places you on call. Do you understand the concept of being on call? And every nurse in the place and every doctor said amen. God's schedule places you on call. You need to be ready to move when He tells you to. See, up to this point, Esther had totally enjoyed God's blessing. I don't know what it was like to be in a harem. I've already established that. But i got to, I got to believe that she had plenty to eat. Her needs were taken care of. Had the latest fashions. And since she was queen, she, she had the status. She'd come in the harem and all the other girls step back. The spotlight was on her. So up to this point, she was totally favored, totally blessed. It cost her nothing to be where she's at. You think about that for a second. Now, she's called to take a stand and risk everything she enjoyed. I shared with my Sunday school class this morning, and I didn't even mean to share it, but it just became more clear. And it stayed in my mind, even as I've walked out here, that you know we talk about our government and we get upset about how things are today. And if I were to ask you to raise your hand, how many people wish the government would change and all this kind of stuff, we could probably have our own little tea party moment right here. That's enough. I'm not going to do that this morning. But then I got to thinking as I was sharing with my class this morning and it's just stayed on my mind. I can't get away from it. I'm sorry, class. i got to say it again. But here's the deal. Are we more concerned with the problems of this nation because God has been taken out of it? Or are we more concerned because we are faced with paying more taxes and our property and our status being taken away from us? What are we more outraged about? What are we more upset about? Because, quite frankly, we hear a whole lot about, uh, well, it's taxes and big government and, and all these things. But we should be more outraged as a child of God because the godly principles have been ripped from our society. That's what we should be frustrated about. That's what we should occupy for. That's why we should be outraged. But I'm afraid we're so accustomed to blessings that we're more concerned about what we stand to lose materially and socially than what we've already lost spiritually in the nation. And that hit me this morning as I was teaching it. And the more that I thought about it, and I didn't even really think about it this week until this morning, And Esther had to deal with something very similar because she could lose the status as queen or she could keep quiet, possibly keep it, but see God's people slaughtered. Where's the choice? See, this was the time that God chose. You people have been around the majority of you to know that your timing is not God's timing. Amen? Has God ever moved when you wanted Him to? 
I don't know that he has. It probably has, but more often than not, he moves when he wants to. And when he moved when I wanted to, it just so happened it was the same time God wanted to. God's timing isn't my timing, but he always works on time. You see, this was the time that God chose. Did you know that God's timing can be an intrusion on your comfort? It can. God wants you to move and you're enjoying life the way it is. God says, I want you to, and you fill in the blank, and then you've got to get up out of the recliner or stay. And I don't know about you, but my recliner is comfortable. I've got the remote in the right place. I've got the, the, the proper soft drink or tea or water. I, I mean, I'm comfortable in the recliner. Sometimes God says, get out of it. And move. And He intrudes on our comfort sometimes. It's then we have to decide. And I want you to remember this. Are you worshiping the blessings or the blesser? What are you tied to? What do you care most about? See, that's the biggest problem we face as a nation. We've been so blessed. We're so stinking blessed, we don't even realize how stinking blessed we are. I want, and we all shake our heads and say, yeah, I know. But, but, but I, none of us truly realize. I don't truly realize how good I've got it. There is a world of people that for just living for Jesus and making a simple testimony and saying that I believe Jesus is Lord will lose their lives and all that they have. And did you know we won't talk about them on Sunday morning? We'll not have a memorial wall erected to them because we don't know their name. And our problem as a nation is we're afraid to lose the blessings and the comfort. And Esther had to face that. I want to share with you the last principle. And it's important. This is where the church comes in. The unity of believers. That's you. If you're a Christian this morning, you're a believer. The unity of believers is a comfort in a time of crisis. There's a lot of people in this room that could say they believe that. They could say amen to it because they've experienced when the church was a comfort. Because you knew the church was praying for you. That they were pulling for you. That they were seeking God on your behalf. That's a comfort. And it's more than just a comfort, but there's power in prayer. It's more than just lip service. God hears the prayers of the saints. But the unity of believers is a comfort in the time of crisis. Would you go back and look at verse 15. And it says that then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai. Because Mordecai's just told her, look, you're going to have to make a decision. You don't know. It may be this time that God's put you in the place that you're at. You've got to make a decision. Then Esther told him to reply to Mordecai, Go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. 
My maids and I would fast likewise. And I will go out to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. See, by the end of the Scripture, I'm encouraged because she went from doubting and wondering to being determined. She still didn't have an answer. She still didn't know if she was going to live very long. But she knew that people were praying for her and fasting for her and, and, and seeking out God's will for her. And she knew that ultimately things were going to be alright. Now, you know, one day I know I'm going to be in heaven because of my salvation. Amen? I can't, that's, that's a wonderful thing to think about that. One day I'm going to go and be with the Lord, not based on what I have done, but based on His provision and salvation for me. Thank you, Lord, for that this morning. Amen? That part don't scare me. It's everything that leads up to that I'm not sure about. I don't know how I get there. I don't know what will take place in my life from this point to that point. A lot of things could happen, good and bad. But I know ultimately my destiny is determined. Not based on my works. Not based on how good I am or how good I look. But based on what Jesus Christ has done for me at Calvary. And this unity of believers is so important because they were unified by the crisis. And they would be unified in seeking God's protection in this crisis. They didn't necessarily pray for deliverance, but they prayed for God to be all through it. What do we have in common with those who are persecuted across the world today? We probably think very little if we, unless you count being saved. Do you ever pray for them? Do you ever think about them? There's a world that is serving Christ and has determined to serve Christ no matter what. You read ever, do, do you ever read any, I know some of you do from time to time, you get them or you look through them. You can read the Baptist Press sometimes, you can read other publications. And they'll every so often do a story on, on persecuted church. And, and not too long ago, and I don't remember the details, so it's going to be very general. But in China, there was a particular church that was being persecuted by the state. And the pastor was arrested and put in jail. And every time the church attempted to meet publicly, the officials would come in and disperse them, imprison some of them, threaten most of them, and disperse them and, and tell them not to meet again until next Sunday. And they came back together. And the state would find out about it and they would come back wherever they found them to be and they would do the same thing over again until next Sunday and then they'd come back. See, the sad problem that I have and I face today is I wonder if in our churches we were told not to come back and meet next week or how many people would come back. Or will we just succumb to pressure and comfort and not want to give up what we have?
as they come and prepare the invitation today. I'm encouraged by this lesson because it sees so much application in today's society. And I've determined that I want to live for Jesus the best that I can. I know I can't do it apart from Him. I know I can't do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. And today when I pray, that's what I'm going to be asking. That God would give me more of His Spirit to live the way He's called me to do. That when the pressures come, when the temptations come, when all those things hit me, I'll be able to stand and not fold when I'm asked whether or not I'm a Christian or not. See, I I can't just tell you that I'm always going to be strong and stand up when I'm supposed to. I'd love to, but we all have moments of weakness. But I do know this, church. But if I ask God to give me the strength to do it, He'll never fail. He'll give me what I need, the grace I needed, the time I needed. Have you seen it? Have you had it in your life? That's what I'm going to pray for me today. I'm going to pray that you pray the same thing for you. If you have a need to come to the front, it is open. The altar is here. You can pray. Make a decision public, whatever you choose to do. and God's leading you to do. But I pray today that you pray for God to give you strength to stand whatever hour of test you may come to.